Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in New York. I'm Jennifer Siegel. Today we're taking a look at WeWork. Last week we learned that one of the company's major investors scaled back a planned investment in the shared office provider. SoftBank is detailing its bet on WeWork. The Japanese conglomerate announced Monday it's investing an additional $2 billion in the co-working startup, a step back from the $16 billion investment that would have given SoftBank a controlling stake. WeWork also announced last week that it's rebranding itself as the We Company. The FT's Eric Platt spoke with Andrew Edgecliff Johnson about the implications of SoftBank's decision, which might mean a sooner-than-expected IPO. Eric, can you set the scene? What exactly is WeWork and what pitch has it been making to investors? Yeah, so WeWork is this rapidly growing property company that has really pitched itself as a tech company. They now have offices in more than 20 countries. They have more than 400,000 office-based users. They like to call them members. And they're now generating more than $2.5 billion in revenue on an annualized basis. So it's nothing to scoff at. And they're known for this, their offices with Instagrammable art, boutique coffee beans, water infused with grapefruit or raspberries. I've been into a, f- a few of them. It's all about kind of the community space and people interacting. And that's what they've, they've pitched themselves to office tenants, also to investors like J.P. Morgan, Tiro Price, and Fidelity that, you know, this is not a drab office space or the traditional landlord that you've invested in in the past. It all sounds much nicer than our offices. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this pitch has clearly worked. Uh, WeWorks managed to raise enough money to become one of the world's most valuable private companies. But it started 2019 with news of another major investment, and yet this one didn't have quite the same response. It seemed to raise more questions than previous rounds. What exactly happened? It did. So at the end of last year, they were in really detailed negotiations with SoftBank and its Saudi-backed vision fund, where the two were expected to invest about $16 billion into WeWork. It was going to attain the same valuation of about $42 billion. But what the Saudi-backed vision fund was going to be doing was buying out earlier investors like J.P. Morgan, Wellington, uh, and others. Now, Investors within the Vision Fund balked at this. They said, you know, this is a huge investment for what's actually not really a tech company, which is more a property company. At least that's how investors that we spoke to had seen it. And so what ended up happening was SoftBank kind of started curtailing those discussions. And at the same time, they had an IPO of their mobile unit in Japan that went quite embarrassingly. It dropped uh, more than 10% on its debut. And then at the same time, you saw tech shares broadly in the market declining, and suddenly SoftBank showed a lot more hesitancy than they did at the end of last year. So when they started this year, the $16 billion got slimmed down to $6 billion, and then that got slimmed down to $2 billion, with really only half of that being a new investment into WeWork in the primary market, where they're actually buying new shares from the company, and another billion of that is actually buying out employees and other investors who are ready for an exit. And so while this did raise the valuation to 42 to $47 billion, depending on how you calculate it, it actually did raise a lot of questions about SoftBank's willingness to invest billions of dollars more into the company. And so any private company of this scale, and WeWork's only about nine years old at this point, will raise speculation that it's going to have to go public sooner or later. But particularly given that backdrop of weaker public markets weighing on SoftBank and weighing on expectations for what's a reasonable sum of money to put into a company like WeWork, what does this do for expectations of a possible IPO of WeWork? Well, I think this definitely changed the discussions within WeWork about how much runway they had as a private company. Because if SoftBank isn't going to be pumping billions of dollars more each year for the next few years, 
into it to fund its losses, they're going to need to tap public investors at a certain point. And what they did last year was they raised $702 million in public debt markets. And that was a way to both familiarize the market with WeWork and also to give them the kind of rigor of quarterly reporting standards, which is something Adam Newman has derided a bit as not long-term enough focused. But it has given the market an idea of what WeWork is. It's familiarizing them with things like community-adjusted EBITDA and other financial terms that they may not understand. And now it looks like, just given that there's some nervousness about what SoftBank will keep putting in, that they've really readied themselves for an IPO. And when we talk to sources within the company, that's what they've said. Whether they go this year or next year, that's an open question. I think they're going to want to see what happens with Uber, Lyft, companies like Palantir and Slack that are ready to go before them to see how the market accepts their debut. That said, I think even if we saw Uber float with a valuation that was slightly below what it last received in private markets, I don't think that would be the end or push we work to wait if they really want to go. You mentioned Adam Newman. He's WeWork's very charismatic and very unusual co-founder. We profiled him this week in the FT. But what role do you think he's personally played in this week's developments? And what's his importance to the company's future? Now it's calling itself the We Company. Yeah, no, I think he's integral in this. When we spoke to investors and sources within the company, he's really been hands-on in this. He's this kind of like wonky-ish figure, not your traditional property executive, because he does, within the same sentence, talk about the world's consciousness and WeWork's actual business model, which I don't think you hear from Mark Zuckerberg or others at, at this point of time, at least. And he has, he's made investments that have really raised questions. There was the wave pool business. They put something up about, you know, WeWork getting in, into sailing and banking. And so there are these questions of what is his real vision for the world and why should we be backing this? But I think that's actually been the attraction for many of the many of the investors like J.P. Morgan and Goldman because they see this as maybe he sees something that, that they can't. So Masayoshi Son himself, through SoftBank and through the Vision Fund that you mentioned, this Saudi-backed tech fund, has been a, a huge force in the rise of private market valuations. It's not just WeWork. It's many other companies that they've put large amounts of capital into. Has this latest investment told us anything new about Masayoshi Son's future and force in this market? I think there are a lot of questions. And yes, I think people are wondering if this is showing some reluctance on him to back what we've been referring to as startups that aren't really startups, right? WeWork is nine years old now. WeWork would rank within the Fortune 500 if it was a public company. And so I think he's getting pushback from investors that maybe you need to be looking at the next wave of tech companies that are coming out. That's why Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia invested in the Vision Fund and why they backed the Vision Fund. I also think it's showing that Masa Sun is ready to see what's next for, for WeWork. Maybe it's time for someone else to come in. And I, that might be an exit through public markets. Public markets are also in the middle of a huge debate about whether a downturn is coming. What's the expectation among industry experts and others about how WeWork would fare in a downturn? It's flush with cash, but it's also it's got some debt. It's also losing money, as you say. Yeah, I know this is a, the, the real question is we've seen WeWork expand really aggressively in good economic times. In fact, the criticism of them four years ago was, well, traditional landlords will take more of a market share in good times. And that hasn't happened. But what happens when uh, you see a recession or actually tenants cutting leases? Because the, the big pull on WeWork is they take out these long-term leases on office buildings and then have clients who are on much shorter contracts. WeWork 
has built into most of these terms the ability to actually cut ties with individual properties. They're actually all structured as different LLCs. So if it were to default on one lease, it actually wouldn't trigger a default higher up in the company. So that is a safeguard that we don't see with many other property holders. That said, there is a big question on if suddenly revenue growth were to slow down, what that would mean to this valuation. Because we've seen this story happen once before in the boom and bust of the tech bubble at the turn of the century. And so I think a lot of people are replaying that scenario in their heads now. Eric, thank you very much. That was Andrew Edgecliff Johnson in conversation with the FT's Eric Platt. You can read more about WeWork at FT.com today, including a profile by Andrew on co-founder Adam Newman. We've also covered WeWork on one of our other podcasts, Behind the Money. The episode is called How WeWork Really Works, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another news feature. In the meantime, if you're not already an FT subscriber and you'd like to discover more FT content, visit ft.com offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Brian, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.